Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Let's dive in to to God's word here. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 12, and then 14 and 15. I already see a typo on my slide there, so it should be 14 and 15, not 13. We'll get to 13 next week. Uh, But if you would, please open your Bibles there uh, to Matthew chapter 6. If you're, you're new with us, if you're visiting us, welcome to River Bible Church. We do have Bibles in the back if you'd like one. You can take that home with you. And as you, as you turn to Matthew chapter 6, let me review from last Sunday. We have been studying the gospel of Matthew here, verse by verse. We've been specifically looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is teaching us how to pray correctly. And as we're learning the Lord's Prayer, really it's uh, the disciples' prayer. Not the Lord's Prayer, but the disciples' prayer. But regardless... It is a prayer not only to be recited, but it is better viewed as a model, as a structure, as as an outline to keep us focused as we pray. And last Sunday, we learned the value of depending on our Heavenly Father for our daily provisions. Give us today our daily bread. Well, today we're going to move from our physical nourishment to our spiritual nourishment. We're going to look at verses 12 and uh, 14 and 15 today, and we're going to learn how forgiveness nourishes our eternal souls. It's been said that forgiveness is the key to happiness. It's been said that forgiveness is man's deepest need and highest achievement. And both of those statements are true, but let's see what the Word of God has to say and find out how forgiveness applies to our lives today. If you would, please stand now for the reading and the honoring of God's word. Just as we lifted our voices to sing those beautiful songs to the Lord, may we all lift up our voices now as we read God's word together, starting in verse 5. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and all the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things that you need before. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, But deliver us from the evil one. 
For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. And dear friends, these are the very words from the inerrant and the inspired, the infallible word of Almighty God. Please pray with me. Father, the psalmist writes, Lord, may you be blessed. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. So, Father, we, we come with our Bibles open this morning, our, our hearts prepared to hear your word. And I pray, Lord God, that as we receive your, your word and your, your graciousness, your forgiveness this morning, that as we leave here, that you would indeed allow us to proclaim your truth to the Verde Valley this week. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat, guys. Thank you. All right, let's take a verse, take a look at verse 12. I'm going to start in verse 9 to give us a, a running start here. Therefore, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. So we have learned that the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, it deals with God's glory. We have prayed, our Father in heaven, right? That's a reminder that we are made of dirt and that we live on the earth. Your name, your name is holy. We have learned that God's name is so different, it is uncommon there is an otherness to God's name. There is a uniqueness and there's a reverence uh, to his name. We pray your kingdom come, not our kingdom. Your will be done, not mine. So verses 9 and 10 within the Lord's Prayer, they are all about God. They're all about God's glory. The second half of the Lord's Prayer is about us. So last week we prayed, give us our daily bread. Today we pray, forgive us. So let's learn about biblical forgiveness this morning. In the Old Testament, forgiveness is expressed by someone not remembering the offense. Old Testament forgiveness is the result of choosing to forget the debt or the offense. In the New Testament, it's carried over um, same idea, but it's also this, this idea of release. Forgiveness is releasing someone, meaning that we're not going to count the number of times someone has sinned against us. The Apostle Paul writes this. He's defining love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, but he also touches on forgiveness. Look at this. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant, it's not rude, and it's not self-seeking, nor is it irritable, and it does not keep a record of wrongs. Question, how many of us turn into CPAs with a spreadsheet in the back of our mind? 
with every wrong that's ever been committed against us. I see two or three honest people in the congregation today raising their hands. Thank you. This idea of forgiveness, it paints such a beautiful picture of releasing someone from an obligation or removing a burden from them. So back to verse 12, forgive us our debts. What's fascinating about forgiveness um, in verse 12 is this Greek term. The Greek term is aphiani. Aphiani means to remove the guilt that's associated with the sin. So we see the same association in the Old Testament. Let me give you an example here. Psalm 51, King David is begging for forgiveness because of his adultery with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah, her husband. And he writes this. He says, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt. Notice that there. Wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion. So David confesses here that he knows what he did was was sin through adultery and murder, but he chose to do it anyway. He says, my sin is always before me. My sin is always before me. Can you hear the tone in that? The the guilt is crushing David. A a guilty conscience is is due to a lack of confession and repentance. He says, against you and you alone I have sinned, and I've done this evil in your sight. So, Lord, you're right. When you pass a sentence, you are blameless when you judge me. So David not only sinned against God, but he also sinned against Bathsheba. He also sinned against the entire nation of Israel. The point here in verse 4 is that God is the ultimate judge of sin. Every time we sin, we have committed a moral crime against a thrice holy God. And that sin, guys, it must be paid. God does not wink at sin. There must be judgment and payment for that sin. And I mentioned David's guilt here. It is imperative to note here that forgiveness focuses on the guilt of the sinner and not upon the sin itself. So in other words, the events of the sin, that's not undone with the act of forgiveness. A person can never undo can never reverse a sin that they've committed against us. However, we can release the person's guilt from the sin. That's biblical forgiveness. Many of us have learned that forgiveness often means to wipe out, to blot out, to do away with, which is all true. But please know that it's not possible for us to forget a sinful event, but it is possible to remove It's guilt. And that's why our personal testimonies are so powerful. Because we all have the same testimony, right? I was once blind. I meet Jesus. Oh my gosh, now I can see. Now I can see. John chapter 9. 
So all that sin that we committed while being blind and spiritually dead over here, it is still part of our our past, yes. However, as Christians, we don't live in our past. We are free and we're forgiven. And we're free and forgiven through the the sacrificial, the, the substitutionary blood atonement of a bloody stain of a blood-stained cross and, and the proof of Christ's empty grave. So using legal terms, we would say that we as condemned criminals, we have been pardoned, we have been absolved, exonerated or acquitted from our moral crimes against God through Christ, our Lord and our Savior. So key point number one, biblical forgiveness means that we're going to remove the guilt resulting from the sin. Biblical forgiveness means to remove the guilt resulting from the sin. That's why there is such an emotional and spiritual release when someone forgives us. Right? The crushing weight of our guilt has been lifted. King David, once again, he writes about forgiveness in Psalm 103. He says this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, He will not always accuse us. He will not always be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, some people teach that, that God forgets our sins, and they, they point to this verse. However, this psalm doesn't mean that God has forgotten our moral sins, our moral crimes against him. It means that God doesn't hold that sin against us. So in other words, God doesn't say, hey, 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 remember when you did that? I know it was 20, 30, 40 years ago, but do you remember that? I do. God doesn't do that, guys. He doesn't do that. That's that's the sinful behavior of us, of mankind. God doesn't hold our past sins over our heads like some form of divine blackmail. He doesn't do that. God doesn't shame us with our sins either because we're pretty good at doing that ourselves, aren't we? Let's also not forget that Satan and his demons are the ones, they're the ones that accuse uh, uh, God's children day and night, Revelation chapter 12. So if you're a child of God this morning, please know that forgiveness is also about compassion. Look at this. Continuing now in Psalm 103, as a father has compassion on his children, So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, which means that God deals with with people who don't fear him differently than with those who do. So why does God have this kind of compassion on his children? Look at verse 14. For he knows what we're made of, remembering that we are dust. Isn't that good? 
That was a good reminder for me this morning. I'm made of dirt. It's a good reminder, guys, that God knows our weaknesses. God knows our personal struggles along with the power of sin. And that's why God is a compassionate God. When Moses was making new tablets, remember, he got, he got angry. He broke the first set, threw them down. So Moses is making a new set. The Lord passed in front of Moses, and he says this, Exodus chapter 3, verse 46. Yahweh passed by in front of Moses, and he called out. So this is, this is God describing who, who he is. This is his character. He says, Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious. Notice, notice the compassion there. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving, and, uh, loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands. And here we go, who forgives iniquity. He forgives transgressions. He forgives our sins. The prophet Micah says this, Micah 7, 18. Who is a God like you, forgiving iniquity and passing over rebellion for the remnant of his inheritance? He doesn't hold on to his anger forever because he delights in faithful love. He will again have compassion on us. He will vanquish our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. So in other words, God doesn't hang on to our sin so that he can use, use our past sin as some type of weapon. This, this casting of sins into the sea with this Micah verse here is, is illustrated in a special ceremony on the first day of the Jewish New Year. It's called Rosh Hashanah. Traditional Jews go to a lake or an ocean, and what they do is they, they cast breadcrumbs or, or, or stones into the water. The ceremony is called Tashlik. So if God has cast our sins into the sea, and he's not holding on to them, using them to, to shame us or embarrass us, like some prosecuting attorney providing exhibits A, B, and C, it's probably a good for us just to leave our sins there at the bottom of the lake, right? We don't need to go fishing for them. We don't need to live in our sinful past. And the reason why is because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That old guy, that old woman you used to be is in the past. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Back to Matthew now. Forgive us our debts. Debt is an example of what we're being forgiven from. So both in the Old Testament and the New, there is a close relationship between financial debt and moral debt. Debt in the Greek, ophilama. The big picture here is that our moral debt is the result of sin. Debts is, is one of the, the five New Testament Greek terms for sin. Uh, you may be the most familiar with, with harmatia. Um, that is the most common term. It carries this general idea of missing the mark. Whenever you see that idea of missing the mark, that's harmatia. Um, all sin misses the mark. 
It misses the mark of God's standard of perfection and his standard of what is right. We call that righteousness. So an example of harmatia is this in James chapter 1. The apostle writes, No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he's drawn away and he is enticed by his own evil desire. And then, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to, here we go, sin. When sin, both harmatia, is fully grown, it gives birth to death. It gives birth to sin, and when sin is grown, it gives birth to death. Sin is always about missing the mark of God's perfection. And and notice here, all sin leads to death. Sin is the reason why we will physically die one day. Death is the proof that we are sinners. Now, we also see sin described as a trespass, as iniquity, as transgression, and lawlessness in Scripture. Uh, You may have noticed those terms when we were reading through the Psalms earlier. Um, So there are different levels of sin, and it is important to, to know the differences. So let me show these to you. Starting with iniquity, that's guilt. That is guilt associated with harmatia. A trespass, on the other hand, conveys the idea of slipping or falling. So the picture here with a trespass is is that we're just being careless with our lives. It's not so much intentional disobedience, but just carelessness, which is still sin. Let me give you an example of uh, of trespass. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And you were dead, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, you were dead, spiritually dead, in your trespass and your sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. So in other words, we were careless about God. We were careless about his ways. A sin of transgression refers to a choice. Transgression is a stepping across the line of God's morality. Transgression is where we intentionally do something we know is wrong. So let me give you an example. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. The Apostle Paul writes to Tim, and he says, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. So the sin of transgression is more conscious. It is more intentional. And then lastly, there's the sin of lawlessness. Lawlessness. It means exactly how it sounds. I am lawless. There's no law that applies to me. I'm above it. In the Greek, anomia. It's a sin to where it is the most intentional. It is the most blatant. It is the most brazen. It is where we are stiff-necked to God. And we're not going to listen to anyone or anything. Lawlessness. It is a direct and open rebellion against God and his ways. Just know when somebody is living in this state of sin, there is no talking sense in someone who lives in lawlessness. Because they believe that God's law doesn't apply to them. 
An example here is Titus 2.14. He gave himself for us. So that's Jesus. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us, to buy us back from what? From all our lawlessness. And to cleanse us for himself, a people for his own possession. So just know this, no matter where we all fall on the scale of sin here, whether it's iniquity, trespass, transgression, or lawlessness, sin is still sin. Sin is a moral crime against God and humanity. Sin is also an act of hostility. Sin is a moral and spiritual debt that God, that, uh, to God that must be paid. And that's why scripture teaches that God is a God of justice. And please know this, guys, justice for sin is paid only by two ways. Number one, through faith in Christ Jesus, or two, through your eternal conscious punishment in a very real place called hell. It's either through Christ or through us. If we go back to the story of Moses, let me show you what I'm talking about. God tells Moses about himself, and he reveals his character. Back to Exodus 34, 6. Yahweh passed in front of Moses, and he, he describes his character. He says, Yahweh, Yahweh God, I am full of compassion. Moses, I want you to know that I am gracious, and I am slow to anger, and I am abounding in loving kindness and truth, and I keep loving kindness for thousands, and I, I forgive iniquity. I forgive your transgression and all of your sin." And yet, God will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. God will visit the iniquity, the guilt, and the sin of fathers on the children, on the grandchildren, to the third and to the fourth generations. Which brings us to key point number two. Our greatest problem is our sin debt. Therefore, our greatest need is forgiveness. Our greatest problem that we have is our sin and the mountain of sin behind us, the debt that's accumulated. Therefore, our greatest need is the forgiveness of that sin debt. So as we prayed last week, give us today our daily bread, we also pray, forgive us our debts. And we do this on a daily basis. We need, not, we need not only to pray for our daily provisions for our physical health, but daily forgiveness for our spiritual and our emotional health. If we have repented from our sins and we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, then we have been forgiven for our sin. Now question, how many sins does it take to become a sinner? How many? Huh. One. Let's, let's see what scripture has to say about that. Psalm 51.5. King David writes this. He says, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. In other words, we all have a sinful DNA thanks to Adam and Eve. So how many sins does it take to become a sinner? Zero. Zero. 
zero. We were born as sinners. Scripture states that we are all guilty before we're born. However, when we are born again, guys, we have been justified, we have been forgiven, we are free from the ultimate crime of sin through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So all that to say this, as Christians, we still need God's daily forgiveness for the sins that we continue to commit. Yes, we're forgiven and we're being forgiven. Does that make sense? In the same way, we are sanctified and we're being sanctified. Key point number three. Forgiveness is the central theme of the Lord's Prayer. Forgiveness is the central theme of the Lord's Prayer. Forgiveness is mentioned six times in eight verses. Praying, forgive us our debts, is a prayer for daily restoration. It's a daily recovery. It is a daily renewal because of our daily sins. However, there is a catch to our daily sins. It's not like justification. Verse 12, Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That phrase there, as we have forgiven our debtors, that phrase from Jesus is the prerequisite for receiving God's forgiveness for our daily sins. See, if we forgive others on a daily basis, we too will be forgiven for our daily sins. However, if we have not forgiven, or if we refuse to forgive others, we will not be forgiven for our daily sins. Key point number four, a forgiven person is a forgiving person. A forgiven person is a forgiving person. Forgiveness is the true mark of a Christian. Our forgiveness shows others how God has forgiven us. Brings us to key point number five. Nothing in the Christian faith, nothing in the Christian life, excuse me, is more important than forgiveness you say, oh, that's a strong statement. Nothing in the Christian life is more important than forgiveness. Not your doctrine, not your systematic theology, not your ecclesiology, and not your eschatology. None of that matters if we don't know how to forgive. Key point number six. Forgiveness of our daily sins rests on an indispensable condition of forgiving others first. Forgiveness of our daily sins, it rests on an indispensable condition of forgiving others first. How do we know this? Because Jesus doubles down on it. He reiterates in verse 13, what he, what he does in verse 13, he moves from teaching on forgiveness here to, to uh, temptation, which we'll cover next week. But he says in verse 13, do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay. But then Jesus circles back to forgiveness for verses 14 and 15. He says, if 
If you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. So two things here. Number one, notice the the condition. It's a conditional statement. He says, if, if you forgive others. And, And two, notice the order. We extend forgiveness first, and then our sins, our daily sins, are forgiven by the Father. Verse 15, Jesus goes on. He comes at it a different way. He's he's saying the same thing here a different way. He says, if you don't forgive others, your father will not forgive your offenses. Once again, notice the conditional statement. If forgiveness is a, a, a choice we all have. And yet when God... When God justified us, he pardoned us, and he forgave us through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gave us a new heart. He gave us a new disposition. And it's only now that we have the temperament to forgive as God forgives. The world says, you know what, I'm sorry. Sorry. Not going to do that again. I'm sorry. Over and over, we hear that all the time. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's not what we're talking about, guys. We are talking about biblical forgiveness. Verse 15, he says, If you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses, your daily sins. So let's talk briefly about unforgiving Christians. A Christian with an unforgiving spirit, if they live a lifetime, With unforgiveness, they will eventually isolate themselves, they will become bitter, and they will become preoccupied with self-pity. Depression will soon follow because they've isolated themselves and, and all the outward signs of unforgiveness have now turned inward. All of their friendships, all of them will begin to sour. Why? Unforgiveness. Every conversation that seems to, to circle back around to what this person did to me and how dare they do that. All friendships will eventually sour. And you know what? Nobody wants to be around that person. Nobody wants to be around a self-righteous, bitter person. So they push people. They're, they're doing the very opposite of what they want to do. They're pushing people away. Key point number seven, forgiveness is divine, unforgiveness is demonic. Forgiveness is divine, unforgiveness is demonic. Guys, we are never more like God than when we forgive. I think the biggest problem that we have praying this part of the Lord's Prayer, specifically about forgiveness is that we don't think that we actually need forgiveness. We have convinced ourselves, you know what? I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good gal. And over time, we somehow forget how guilty we truly are apart from the saving work of Christ Jesus our Lord. How quickly we forget our life before Christ saved our wretched souls. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. 
He says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? And as, the, as church people, we say, preach it, Paul. Preach it. You get them unrighteous people. You get them. Sick them. And then he goes on to say, he goes, look, don't be deceived. And he's talking to everybody. No sexually immoral people. No idolaters, no adulterers, no males who have sex with males, no thieves, no greedy people, no drunks, no verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And we as church people, we say, preach it, Paul. Amen. <laughs> and how quickly we as church people, we forget verse 11. Some of you used to be like this. Remember those days? I do. And I would add not so long ago in the grand scheme of things. So let's do a little pop quiz for our daily sins. Y'all ready for a quiz? Last time I did a quiz from here... Uh, somebody was about ready to throw something at me. But it's well worth me ducking. <sighs> Question number one. When was the last time that you watched a TV show or a movie that was filled with all sorts of sex, sexual innuendos, and dirty jokes, refusing to turn it off? When was the last time you had too much to drink? When's the last time you lost your temper? Oh, Dustin, I don't, I don't, I don't lose my temper. I just raise my voice <laughs> to make my point. <laughs> Sexual impurity, drunkenness, anger. These are all just an example, just a small sample of the daily sins that we all struggle with. We all have a bad case of the normals when it comes to this stuff. And it's these things that must be confessed to our Heavenly Father on a daily basis. Verse 11 continues. The Apostle Paul writes, but you, this is so good. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All that to say this, yes, as Christians we are forgiven and we're still being forgiven on a daily basis if we first offer forgiveness to others. If we think that our sins are forgiven by God and we refuse to forgive somebody else, guys, we are making an eternal mistake. And it doesn't get any more serious than this. Key point number eight. Unforgiveness proves that we were never forgiven. If we choose and we say that we believe what God's word has to say, that we have repented from our sins, 
because the Lord Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And we have confessed with our mouth and we believe like John 3.16 says, and yet we live a life of unforgiveness. In other words, we do not change. Unforgiveness proves that we were never forgiven. The person who knows that he has been forgiven by that bloody cross and that empty grave is a person who must ask for forgiveness and also forgive them, forgive others. In other words, he can't help himself. He's the one who who hears this message and then he picks up the phone and he makes things right today. If we truly know Christ as our Savior, there is no way in the world we can refuse someone forgiveness. Because God's forgiveness, what's it do? It breaks us. God's forgiveness changes us forever. There is no holding grudges. There is no keeping a list of offenses because we're so overwhelmed by the holiness of God and then the depravity of our sin. And yet God sends God to die for our sin. How can we, on on the other hand, be so proud and arrogant and defiant to refuse someone else's apology and not offer forgiveness? Refusing to release their guilt when God himself has released ours. One last thing. Forgiveness doesn't mean that your relationship with that person will ever be the same. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Some of us have been physically beaten, emotionally battered, and sexually abused. And these are heinous crimes. But they still need to be forgiven Why? Because our moral crimes against God are so much worse than that crime committed against you. So we can still forgive someone who who has done those kind of things to us, but please hear this. That doesn't mean that your relationship with that person will ever be the same, especially when it comes to that kind of and that level of abuse. You do not want to continue that relationship. You can offer forgiveness and have a different relationship with that person. Father in heaven, how do we say thank you for the forgiveness that you have given us? You you, you promised that you would send a savior in the Old Testament. You you wrote about Jesus in detail in uh, in the book of Isaiah. You have sent your son as our savior. He was born of a virgin, meaning he is without sin. He doesn't have the DNA that we do. He lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death on our behalf. He is the mediator. And through him, our forgiveness is possible. Lord, I pray that you do some work with us this week as we we think about forgiveness.
And I pray that you would, you would lay the names of people on our minds that we need to, to get right with. And that you would supernaturally work inside that relationship. Thank you for teaching us about forgiveness this day. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.